All right, I want to begin today with a question for the children. Children, have you ever heard a song that you liked so much that all you wanted to do is just listen to that song over and over again? Put up your hand if you've ever heard a song like that. Yeah, plenty of you. Grown-ups, you can put your hands up too if you've ever heard a song like that. Um, and then keep your hands up if uh, you listened to that song so many times that you knew all of the words by heart. Yeah, good. Lots of you. Great. You've all heard that. All right, you can put your hands down. Um, I want to tell you a story that um, when I was about 10, I discovered a song like that. Um, and it was one of those songs that you hear, that when you hear it, you, it really kind of changes your life. Um, so uh, I was away on a school trip, and one of my roommates was listening to music on his headphones. And, uh, and uh, he was clearly enjoying his music. So I asked him what he was listening to, and he, he let me uh, borrow the headphones to listen to it. And uh, the song that was playing was a song by Michael Jackson called Heal the World. Probably know this song. Um, and I immediately just fell in love with the song. I kept hold of my friend's headphones for like way too long that day. Uh, I listened to this one song over and over again until I knew all the words. And I was there in my room away on retreat singing, Heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. And my friends were laughing at me. Um, but in my head, it sounded like this. So uh, I have other favorite songs now, uh, but I still really like the song, and I particularly love this idea of healing the world. To this day, that's kind of one of my like, life messages. I would like the world to be a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. Um, and Michael Jackson, he sang that beautiful song, but then he died without managing to actually heal the world. Uh, so we need a better savior, and the better savior has come along in the person of Jesus. We know that Jesus is going to heal the world. That's one of the things he's come to do, and that he's already gotten started. Um, and when Jesus stood up on the last great day of the feast in John chapter 7, uh, he made this promise that I'm going to put up on the screen here. And I think we're going to find out it actually has a whole lot to do with healing the world. So Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. All right, so this is our anchor verse for today. I want to say this all together. Say this with me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Great. So we can see up here that Jesus is prom promising to give people a drink. That's nice. <laughs> Uh, but what does this verse have to do with healing the world? And to answer that, we're going to need to go back to the Old Testament and understand more about the feast that Jesus was at when he said these words, right? So he was at the Feast of Booths, John says, which is another name for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the third of the Jewish feasts in their calendar. It happens in mid-fall. Um, and so they have um, 
they had uh, traditions associated with all their feasts. So uh, here in the church, we have two main feasts, right? We have Christmas and we have Easter. And when those uh, feasts come around, we have things we do, and they're pretty much the same every time, right? So Christmas comes around, we have a carol service, we sing joy to the world, we read about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, and we read about the angels and the shepherds and the magi. Um, then Easter comes around, and we sing, Christ is risen from the dead. And uh, we read about the women visiting the tomb in the early morning and finding it empty. So we have things that we do for our feasts every time they roll around. And so did the Jewish people in ancient Israel. Um, and so one of the things that they did every time the Feast of Tabernacles came around was they had this ritual where they took a water jar and they took it down, down the mountain from Jerusalem and they filled it up in the pool of Siloam, which is uh, low down just uh, south of the city of David. They filled it up with water and then they processed, a huge great procession of people uh, led by the priest, carrying the water jar up the steps of the, of the temple and they took it to the top of the temple and they poured the water out onto the ground from the pool of Silo. Um, and then as they did it, they read and they sang Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12 was key to this feast. So we're going to take our Bibles here because we need to, we need to see Isaiah 12 and what it said. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 12 is on page 576. 576. Okay, so they were, they were reading and singing this at the time Jesus taught in John chapter 7. They said this, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation and you will say in that day give thanks to the lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the peoples proclaim that his name is exalted sing praises to the lord for he has done gloriously let this be made known in all the earth shout and sing for joy o inhabitant of zion for great in your midst is the holy one of israel so these are just amazing words. And on this particular Feast of Tabernacles that we come to in John chapter 7, they had just sung this song while the Holy One of Israel was actually right there in their midst with them. So this is just a beautiful moment in the story. Um, and as you were listening to Isaiah chapter 12, did you hear what the big themes of this chapter are? It's a song all about salvation. It's all about being saved. Um, and it says in verse 3, I've got a slide for this too. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So it says that like salvation is like water you can drink, um, but you do have to go to the well to get it, right? So just like the priests had gone down to the pool of Siloam to fill up the water, and then they'd taken it up to the temple. Uh, the idea here is people are drawing the water up from the wells of salvation. Because you know what? The temple in Jerusalem, it doesn't have any water. There's no, like, it's up, it's up on top of a mountain. There's no, uh, there's no springs or natural sources of water up there. In their day, there were no pipes or plumbing systems to take water up there. Um, they did have systems to catch rainwater, but um, rainwater is the best you've got, okay, unless you bring up fresh water from a place like the Pool of Siloam. So this, this ritual in the temple had just a lot of meaning um, at the time. 
you go and get the water of life and you bring it up to the temple of God. Okay, but there's this very special verse uh, in Isaiah chapter 12 that I want us to notice and draw attention to. And I'll put this up on the screen, verse 2. So this, this passage has this phrase in it. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. Here's how that sounds in Hebrew. It says, Adonai vahili leyeshua. He has become my salvation. And that phrase in the Hebrew Bible occurs only three times. Three times in the whole Old Testament, he has become my salvation. And it's a very special phrase. So I want to see where these things come up. Okay, so uh, first of all, we're going to go back. And uh, the first one I want us to see is Exodus 15. Exodus 15, page 57. Taking a bit of an Old Testament tour today. Exodus 15. Okay, so as you find it, you'll see that this is the Song of Moses. It happens right after the crossing of the Red Sea. Okay, so uh, in, the, in this part of the story, the people of Israel have just celebrated their very first Passover in Egypt. The uh, angel of death has passed over their houses and spared their firstborn sons. And then Pharaoh has finally let them go. And they escaped his army through the waters of the Red Sea. They got over to the other side of the Red Sea. They saw the Egyptian army drowned. And then chapter 15 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Did you hear it? Did you hear our special phrase? It's right here as well in Isaiah, in Exodus 15. The Lord has become my salvation. And then let's look at the other time it comes up. Is in Psalm 118, our psalm that we just sang together. This is page 511, Psalm 118. And the whole psalm is uh, quite long, so I just want to start at verse 17 here. No, 14. Psalm 118, verse 14. It says in the psalm, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. That's Hebrew, Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is the Palm Sunday Psalm. The Palm Sunday Psalm. This is the Psalm that the people of Israel were quoting when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And friends, these are the only three places in the whole Old Testament which says, he has become my salvation. They're special passages. They're all unusually messianic. They're unusually connected with the life and mission of Jesus. Jesus came into Jerusalem as Israel's humble king, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He came as their new Moses to lead a new exodus out of slavery to sin. 
and he came as the true well of living water, the water of salvation. Jesus unites all of these special texts. The Lord has become my salvation. It's literally in the Hebrew. The Lord has become my Yeshua. It's his name. Jesus means salvation. And all three of these special passages relate to the feasts of the Jewish calendar, to tabernacles and to Passover. And as such, they all have close ties to the temple in Jerusalem. Notice also that the first one, Exodus 15, and the second one, um, uh, Isaiah 12, both have close connections to water. They both talk a lot about water, right? Um, in, uh, in Exodus 15, or in Isaiah 12, they're invited to draw the water of life. And then um, in uh, Exodus 15, they're rescued through the water of death, right? So I've got these here. I want to I zoom in on uh, these two kinds of water for a moment here. Um, so uh, these, these are kind of major themes in the scriptures. Uh, first of all, there's this idea of the water of life. It shows up a lot in scripture. This is uh, clean, pure, fresh water. So imagine that this water um, comes from what color springs or something like that. Um, it's, it's bubbling up out of the ground. It's pure. It's filtered. It's great water. Yes. You know, it gives you life. You drink it. It's like Popeye and his spinach. It makes you strong. Um, it brings life wherever it goes. It waters your plants. It makes things spring up. It brings fruit to your trees. Trees that are planted by this kind of water bear fruit in their season. All kinds of fish and other creatures live in this water. It's living water. It's good water. Mm. I need more of that. And then on the other hand, you've got the water of death, right? So um, this is uh, like salt water. This is like uh, dirty ocean water, like water out of the Red Sea. Um, and uh, it's, it's not for drinking. It's bad. Um, so um, you, uh, you, you could drink this. It's not good. <laughs> it's bad. Don't want to drink it. Uh, it's not poison. Um, but if all you drank was, was, was this water, you would die. Um, and um, the, the, the oceans that it come from, comes from claims many lives, right? The ocean itself is a kind of force for death. Um, and then uh, fish and many creatures do live in the oceans, but when they get really salty, they become toxic environments. So the deadest place on the whole planet is the Dead Sea, uh, the lowest point on the Earth. And uh, it's like uh, oceans, like really salty. So what happens is the Jordan River collects all the minerals and flows down into the Dead Sea, the lowest place on Earth. And from the Dead Sea, there's nowhere for the water to go. It's just stuck. Um, and so all that happens is that the, the, the watery part, the H2O, evaporates out of the Dead Sea and leaves all of the salt and minerals behind. And what you get is this kind of sludge of minerals. It feels like oil. Um, and it sort of burns your skin. It's astringent. Um, and nothing can live there. It is the deadest place on Earth. There's, there's Examples of life living pretty much everywhere else on our whole planet. And the Dead Sea is dead. <laughs> they have discovered like tiny microbial life in it, but that is it. It's dead. Um, so, uh, so this is the, the water of death right here. Now, Jesus, uh, in, throughout the scriptures, promises to save us from this water of death. This is the water that drowned the Egyptians. Uh, he parted it so that the people of Israel could uh, get through in safety. Um, and when we're baptized, we are, the water in baptism is actually this water. 
doesn't look like this, but it's, uh, it's the water of death. We, we, are, we are dying in the water of baptism. We are being raised to life again out of it. And then we have this promise of the water of life. And the water of life is what Jesus is talking about in John 7. So let's have our slide back up for that. Um, and I want to think more about this water of life because we're getting closer to the idea of this passage, but we haven't quite got to this idea of healing. So here it is again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Interesting phrase right in the middle, as the scripture has said. Where does the scripture say that? When I was a teenager, I went onto a blog called Debating Christianity, and there was this atheist who was like, I will give a Christian $10,000 if they can show me where the scripture says that. And I said, it's Ezekiel 47, and he didn't believe me. But it is, it's Ezekiel 47. Um, uh, so here it is, we've got, to, we've got to see this for ourselves. Uh, we have to add, an, add one more um, uh, Old Testament passage, and it's Ezekiel 47. So let's turn that together again. And oh, no, let's not turn it together. Uh, I want you to just imagine this, because uh, Gio just read it for us, um, and I want to imagine what Ezekiel saw. So the prophet Ezekiel was taken up in a vision by an angel, and he was brought to the temple in Jerusalem, and he went to the center of the temple, and he saw flowing out from the Holy of Holies in the center of the temple this little trickle of water which is amazing because there's no sources of water in the temple. So he followed this, this water as it flowed to the east. And after a little while, the trickle became a small stream. And a little while later, it became a big stream. And then a bit later again, it was a mighty rushing river. And he stepped out into it to try to cross it. And he couldn't because it was too deep to cross. Okay, so he's noticing that this is a miraculous stream that's growing with time. No river on earth does this. And there's no tributaries or anything being added. It's just this river. Okay, so um, that's the first miracle. And he walks into this stream, and he gets like a few feet in and can't cross it. So he turns around to go back, and trees! Like, so the idea in the text is that he started off here in the bank, and it was desert. It's rock. There's nothing living there. He goes to cross the river, and he comes back, and he turns around, and it's like, there's trees. There's trees everywhere, like all along the banks, on both sides of the banks. These trees have burst out of the ground in the time that it's taken him to, like, go to and fro crossing the river. Um, so they have sprung out of the ground like fireworks. Um, and that is the, uh, the miraculous effect of this river. It's so full of life that it's creating like spontaneous life out of the ground. And then the, and the angel says to him, this is what the river does next. It keeps flowing east and it keeps growing and it plunges itself into the Dead Sea, which is east of Jerusalem. And when it hits that water in the Dead Sea, the, uh, the, the dead water of the Dead Sea turns fresh. And um, so it's, it's healing the waters of the Dead Sea. And, um, and then it says uh, that they will spread their nets. Fishermen will spread their nets from Engedi to Eneglame. And those are two towns on the shore of the Dead Sea where you certainly do not need a fishing license. Um, and it's saying that they're going to start fishing there because there's going to be life in the Dead Sea. Um, so uh, then we got the last verse of the vision is, is verse 12. And that's here, here on the so the conclusion of this beautiful vision in Ezekiel 47. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, 
there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So this then is what the Bible means by living water. This is living water. This is the river of living water. And it's exactly what John saw in his vision in the future uh, in Revelation 22, this future vision. John saw just what Ezekiel saw. He said, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. All right? So this is how the world gets healed. And friends, I do believe that we will see this river for real. I believe it's a real river. Uh, There is an actual river like this. Uh, We will eat from that tree of life. We will drink from that water of life. And through it, the nations will be healed. There is a river, the Psalms say, whose streams make glad the city of God. But in the meantime, what does Jesus promise at the Feast of Tabernacles? We're going to go back to our verse one more time. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as Ezekiel 47 has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Okay, what does it mean? Surely, in light of Ezekiel 47, this means that the river of life has already started to flow, and it flows out of the hearts of the people who know and believe in Jesus. So the followers of Jesus, then, are a new spiritual temple. They are the place where God makes his home on earth. So we know that Christianity does not replace Judaism. But for both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus, the new temple of the body of Christ, which is the church, does replace the stone temple in Jerusalem, which has been torn down anyway. The Holy Spirit comes to live on earth now in his people. Jesus is the cornerstone of this new temple, the stone which the builders rejected, as Psalm 118 said. And you and I and all the other Christians in the world are like living stones that get built together into one spiritual temple on the foundation of Jesus. Peter says, a living temple of God. And from that living temple, where the Holy Spirit dwells, flows the spiritual water of life now. Rivers of living water are flowing out of our hearts now. It's a miraculous trickle that springs out of dry rock, and it grows and it grows into a mighty rushing river, and wherever it goes, it brings healing, life, wholeness. Trees spring up with fruit for food and leaves for healing. So the conclusion for us today is that this is a really good reason for us to love holiness. It's a good reason for us to love holiness. We sometimes think that the holiness God calls for is stuffy and boring, but it isn't. uh, The holiness of the church is what heals the world, right? Uh, God commanded his church, be holy as I am holy. 
And a major reason for this, if not the reason, for the holiness of the church is so that God can come and live here with us, so that he can fill his temple with his Holy Spirit, and so that he can pour forth from it the living water onto his hurting world. We know that the Spirit will not dwell in a desecrated church any more than he would stay in a desecrated temple. So as we seek the Lord and listen to the Lord, receive his forgiveness, his cleansing, obey his voice, embrace his holiness, we are helping to heal the world. Michael Jackson didn't manage it, but Jesus will. And he's called us to partner with him in this project. So, friends, let us seek God, obey God, and guard our holiness in God. For God's sake and for our own sakes, but also for the sake of the whole world that so desperately needs his healing. As we intercede, we pray for the world's sake. As we suffer, we suffer for their sake. We go without for their sake. We deny ourselves for their sake all in our pursuit of the holiness that our God is looking for so that he can live on earth in his temple and pour out his living water on this world.